Hello and welcome to the Popcorn Tennis Podcast. I'm Nick Carter and I'm here with uh, the other members, some other members of the Popcorn Tennis community, uh, Shrahir Ravi, Jethro Broughton and Owen Lewis. Um, I'm very much looking forward to uh, our chat today and uh, looking forward to seeing what we've got. We've got some uh, interesting topics to cover. We're going to be looking at um, the tennis that's just happened, looking ahead to the tennis that's going to come, and maybe touch a little bit on a uh, topic of an article that's come out on the Popcorn Tennis site um, about the ATP Challenger Tour. So uh, all things we should be, I, I'm looking forward to uh, chatting about with you guys. Um, we may as well get started and stay topical. Um, so um, I guess the uh, the biggest tournament from from last week that we uh uh, that was on was the WTA event in San Diego. Um, so, uh, did you manage to watch much of that? I actually didn't manage to catch too much of it. I tried to tune into um, Pin Wenjang, the Igish Biontech, but the rain delays and the, the time zone was just an absolute nightmare. So, I actually ended up missing most of it. Um, but yeah, I tuned into what I could, I kept an eye on the results. Uh, Surprise, surprise, Igor Svantec won yet another title. Um, yeah, it's it's insane. And she didn't even look that convincing, I think, until the final set of her final against Donna Bekic. Um, but yeah, she's just so much better than the rest of the tour right now. It's quite scary. Yeah, I, I would actually push back a little bit against uh, not looking too convincing until the final because that scoreline against uh, Coco Goff... Um, in the quarters mm. is a little bit terrifying um, because it's a concern. Know, they, played in, they played in the Roland Garros final. I think Goff had said like, this will be a good measuring six to see like how much I, I've improved. And uh, she got three games because Shviantek is, you know, in an incredible place right now. Um, I, I think the scorelines in general are amazing. Like the match against uh, Pagula even, um, Four six six two six two. Like that's very very convincing after losing a close first set against a top player. Like so mentally tough, and her tennis speaks for itself. Yeah, and I would say it was. Yeah, go ahead. Realistically, she um, realistically uh, she eagerly really lost their sets by some because of some brief lapses. Um, you know, she was up against Pagula in the first set before losing it. Um, the Vekic match in the final. Um, she just had a one loose service game in the middle, and then Vekic hold on, but um, Iga con- took control in the final set and just faced away where we're kind of used to seeing her. Although, having said that, I, th- I can't remember the last time she actually bageled someone before that match. It was a while. Um, yeah, it was, uh, and also it's, it's score lines against people like Garth and Bagula, people who she plays she's going to be against in the WTA finals. In the- um, that's a uh, concerning sign for the rest of the field there. Um, mm-hmm. I wonder how uh, Ons Jabur is going to fare there. Um, I think she's number two at this point in the race, if I'm not wrong. Um, in yeah, the- she is. Yeah. Um, she did, I think, was there an injury concern in Monastir when she played? Because she lost in the quarterfinals to Claire Lou, who isn't a bad player, but hasn't achieved a lot on the WTA tour, but she's the dangerous opponent, but on Jabir on clay at her home event, um, possibly a little bit of I did hear some chatter about an injury eventually, but he'd very much be in the mix and any match against Igor or anyone would be interesting. Yes. Mm-hmm. I, I did tune into that match with Leo and I didn't see anything physical with odds, but <clears throat> she hasn't played since, so I'm not, I don't know. I think she might have kept her a bit quiet, but I don't know. I think if she is healthy, she's definitely one of a handful who can really push Fiontech. I think that second set in the U.S. Open final, even though she didn't win it, I think it was really encouraging because she was way down. She had lost the first set handily, and she pushed it all the way to a tiebreak. Um, was really not far away from winning that set. Um, so she can at least tap into a level that can match peak Fiontech or Fiontech when she's in form. And I don't think many players can say that because it's an insanely high level. I think the only other player who maybe could be Caroline Garcia, but she's lost a little bit of confidence since that US Open semi-final exit, possibly. Yeah, who did she lose to in San Diego? I 
can't remember. It's, actually, it wasn't a bad player. Um, was it Collins? I can't. Yeah, it was Daniel Collins. Yeah, yeah, that's not um, a bad loss. Who no. had another great week? So, yeah, it's not a bad loss at all. Yeah. She's playing great at the minute. Yeah, and I, I, is I is Collins in contention for a spot in the WTA finals? Outside chance, he has oh. to do really well in Guadalajara. Um, oh, okay. I'd have to get Ji's tweets up to see, right. <laughs> yes, like what her permutations are. Yes, um, I think she could probably pull off like a Jack Sock from 2017. You know, she ends up winning it and then qualifies by virtue of that. Um, she did. I mean, she did make the final at the Australian Open. So I think you know, all things considered, and she did show a good level here at San Diego as well. Granted, she's not been that consistent. I think it. Being a Grand Slam finalist, it would be a bit harsh for her to not be able to make it uh, to the most prestigious tournament, I think, on the WTA Tour. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she okay, can yeah, qualify think... by reaching the final. Um, okay. That's the minimum result she needs to get in. Mm. Right. And then that depends on the draw. The final. Yes. Yeah. Who else is in contention? Well, it kind of goes quite far down. Like, mm. uh, there's there's quite a lot of players, but like the full list of contenders for the, the WTA finals. Um, well, people who haven't qualified yet. So people who are already in are Chiantek, Jabur, and Pagula. Um, then already in the top eight are Goff, Sabalenka, Garcia, Kasatkina, and Veronica Kudamatova is in that last spot because Simona Halep isn't going to be playing. Um, she's entered her season early. And then still in contention, Maria Sakri, Paula Pedosa, Belinda Bencic, Madison Keys, Danielle Collins, um, Beatrice Haddad Meyer, Petra Kvitova, Ekaterina Alexandrova, Elena Ostapenko, Barbora Krajikova, Elena Rybakina, and Lyudmila Santonova. Wait, what about Rybakina? Did you mention her? Yeah, yeah, she's in the mix. Um, oh, okay. She needs to win it, um, but she needs to avoid. And I'm getting J.I.'s tweet up, so shout out to J.I. because I'm getting all his information. Yes. Um, uh, he, like, so she can qualify. She wins Guadalajara, and she loses any matches. She can't do it. And then she needs to avoid Kudamitova getting to the third round, Zachary getting to the quarters, the Doss against the semis, and Collins getting to the final. All of those. Like, if any of those four time. players it's, do it's any of those an things. situation. Right. Sorry? <laughs> Yeah, it's just making sure it's an and and not an or there. Like, yeah, it needs all of those things to happen. That's tough. Yes, um, a lot of things yeah. have to come together. None of those things to, see... to happen. Right. I, I would love to see Krejcikova there after that Ostrava final, but it sounds like uh, she's got a very outside chance as well. Yeah, yeah, just for a situation like she's avoid certain people going deep. Yeah, quite unfortunate because she, you know, I think if I remember correctly, she did get COVID during the Roland Garros and she had to pull out of her doubles right after crashing out in the first round. Obviously, and she's had an injury as well that took her out of oh, yes. place. Yeah, um, that's... So, yeah, that, she's... But she can show that. a really good level when she's playing at her best. And last year, she was re- really consistent as well after... Or, you know, the double triumph at RG, winning both the singles and the doubles. Made the fourth round, I think, you know, in Wimbledon. I'm not sure how well her game translates to the grass. Um, you know, they had a good run at the US Open as well. You know, there was that match against Muguruza in the fourth round. And, you know, she even made the quarterfinal, you know, at the beginning of the year at uh, the Australian Open. So, yeah, you know, really top-notch player for sure at her best. And, you know, it's kind of a bummer that she's not able to, most likely not able to make it to the WTA finals this year. Yeah. Speaking of her, I do think that tennis needs to do a better job of marketing her as <clears throat> such a good singles and doubles player. Because that's something we don't really see on either tour. I know Coco Goff and Pagudo have a really good, you know, partnership as well. And they're both in great singles. But Krejcikova has won how many slams is a doubles player now? Like, multiple. Tennis is not good at marketing doubles in general. Mm, yeah, true. That is true. Like, so yeah, like, I mean, outside the Williams sisters and the Bryan brothers, I don't really think they've done that good a job, you know, overall of marketing, you know, 
doubles players and the doubles uh, competitions in general. Uh, but yeah, I remember, if I'm not wrong, not sure which slam it was, but she, until last year, she had not made the, even the main draw of that slam. Was it the Australian Open or the US Open? It's one of those two. It was Wimbledon and the US Open. Like, oh yes, the Wim- um, Wimbledon and the US Open. She played Wimbledon after Roland Garros. She'd never played a Wimbledon main draw yes. singles before. And she made the second week there. And, same and she the was US the 14th seed or something like that. Yeah. You know, likewise with the US Open, she never made the main run and, you know, makes the quarterfinal in the first appearance. That's actually, nobody really talks about how impressive that is. Uh, but, yeah. Yeah. I, we would do it if it was a young player. Yeah. Um, like, I, I think she sort of suffers from that really unfortunate phenomenon tennis has where, like, her game isn't, quote unquote, like, marketable or it doesn't have, like, a flashy weapon. But like mm-hmm. she does everything great. She uses the angles well. Her I think her game translates very well onto all the surfaces. And I think in so many situations, that's more impressive than having a flashy weapon. But it's less it's harder to appreciate visually and like get that instant like, you know, feeling in your chest when you watch it. Um and so I think she, among others, kind of suffers from that sometimes. Yeah. It's the wow like the wow factor. It's it's kind of why felt recently watching Luca Nardi against uh, Pass and Astana. I was like, he's like quite small. He's quite slight. Like he's not got a lot of mass on him. And he hasn't got like a huge serve or a massive one, a big backhand. But like, he's just so solid. And like, like his rally tournament is just great. And like can hit good angles. And it almost like reminded me of kind of like a mini Djokovic almost. Um, so I'm going to be keeping my eye on him. I hope that's not you was, calling uh, Novak web- weaponless. <laughs> No, no, no. Right. I mean, yeah, so like obviously no bad. Yeah. I mean, his backhand is better than his forehand, but he hasn't got sure. like one definitive weapon. He's just unbelievably complete. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, I think Djokovic could be quite a good inspiration for players who don't have one huge weapon because they can be like, okay, well, I don't have, you know, I don't have a Fernando Vadasco like forehand, but I can, I can just make all of my shots top yeah. notch and yeah. just not. Not anyone beat me. Yeah, now that you mentioned that, you know, Luca Nardi doesn't really have a big serve, so to speak. Uh, it's interesting because I, I didn't, I was not watching that match, but I was following the score. And if I'm not wrong, Sitsipas never had a break point all match. And it was obviously ended in a 7-6, 7-6 win. So I just assumed, uh, you know, going by uh, the scores that Nardi must be, you know, another big server on tour. But you know, I yeah, no, he, he's. I wouldn't, I mean, I wouldn't say he's got a bad serve. He's got a, a good serve, but um, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, not um, an explosive one. You would say like Bublik's or Curios's. Uh, yeah, exactly. Although Bublik would you say he's probably... a better spot server rather than a power server or a spot server? Oh, okay. Yeah, I would. I would get that impression. Like for me, like Federer was like the best spot server of all time, and he never had like you know 130k. No miles per hour on his serve, you know. Yeah, um, I mean, well, yeah. I I love watching smaller players adjust like that because when you're small, I think you have to be a good spot server. Um, since <laughs> you can't get pace. Um, because you know anything slow and down the middle is going to get crushed by anyone. Um, so it's cool watching players like Schwartzman, uh, or uh, probably Baez in the future. Like, yeah, since since they can't hit that 130 mile an hour ace out wide, like they're going to be able to hit a dot eventually, um, just at slower speeds. Oh, and I'm glad you mentioned yeah. those players, not death row. <laughs> <laughs> I was talking like you just gave him a good a excuse there. there. Yeah. Yes. I will say about Baez, I think he's got a much better serve, when he's potential serve than Diego. Oh yes, that's Diego. for sure. I think he um, definitely has a higher ceiling than uh, Diego does. Um, yeah. As a, you know, as, I think he's strong of both wings on his ground strokes and he can definitely serve better than uh, Diego can. Like he he doesn't really make any errors on his backhand, and his forehand is insane. Like he gets yeah. so much power off it. Like I was watching yes. him in where did he play? It was I think it was Gijon. He got another injury, sadly. But um, there was one survey hit, and it just missed the line. But it was like I think it was like one thirty miles an hour. I was like, how how have you just hit all that fast? Like and it's cool. gone over the net. Like, it's insane. And right. yeah, his forehand's huge. Backhand, well, I, I, if you put like his serve, all of Diego's game and his backhand, and then like Baez's serve and forehand. Oof. 
you'd have a pretty pretty nifty little player there. Yeah. For sure. Um, uh, to talk about sort of the forehand backhand balance, I I think the way the game is now, and I think Sviantek does a great job of doing this. I feel like the best blueprint is to sort of have a player who prefers to dictate with the forehand because it's the more powerful shot, but they can also hit backhand winners if they have to. Because when like when Sviantek plays, like if she gets the opportunity, she's going to whack an inside-out forehand at 90 miles an hour, but she can also hit the backhand winner down the line. And so that means, like, one, there's no safe spot to hit to, but two, she can tear you to shreds with this big weapon if she wants. Um, and I feel like in the power game and the the power baseline game, that's sort of the best way to do it right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was most impressed by Iga's backhand down the line during the US Open. It was... Although she wasn't at her best. Oh, yeah. I did see that tweet from We Are Tennis uh, comparing Novak's uh, sliding backhand, uh, you know, against Sviantex. And that gained a lot of traction because people are like, is this a joke? What sort of comparison is this? I mean, not that Mm -hmm. I have those feelings exactly, but it was really interesting to see the kind of um, negative response that tweet got. But I do think... Oh, you know, for what it's worth, you know, Shiontek has, you know, an amazing, you know, backhand, uh, sliding backhand down the line. And, you know, like you, like you mentioned, it was really firing at the US Open. Um, it's, yeah, it's, her, her ability to slide into the backhand is quite amazing, actually. Um, because yeah. like Djokovic is one of the main sliders on a hard court that we've seen, you know, in, uh, in recent times. And it's interesting watching like, Sinner and Alcaraz doing it and like mm-hmm. with me and I were speaking about this a while back about Sinner sliding in the grass which mm-hmm. Novak's like the only one who does that um yes yeah it's cool to see all these young people like developing all these like skills that are really hard to do like sliding on these courts is not easy like exactly and you can you can definitely see that they've uh, you know gathered a lot of uh, inspiration from you know Djokovic's open stands and you know even the sliding uh, forehand and backhand obviously the uh, backhand being the more iconic and uh, effective shot if you would say from for Djokovic uh, I definitely see that translating a lot into you know like you mentioned Sinner and Alcaraz's game um, you know even though I mean of course they would probably I think Sinner idolizes Federer and Alcaraz's idolize, Alcaraz idolizes Nadal but you can definitely see that they you know a lot of these players model their game after uh, Novak, especially mm-hmm. from the uh, current generation of players, you even I would say even to an extent, uh, Medvedev and Zverev, uh, they have in, in many ways taken uh, pages out of Novak's uh, playbook, and um, yeah, that's that's really interesting to see because that I think Alcaraz uh, actually idolizes Federer. He used to have like a poster. Oh, he does. In his, okay, in his room. Yeah, I I feel like Alcaraz if he's got Nadal's tenacity but if he plays like anyone it's kind of like a hybrid yeah. of Federer and Djokovic yeah I must uh, mention Felix as well yeah. you know his uh, his yeah. he mm. also has a really good sliding backhand which reminds me of Novak um, mm-hmm. but... speaking of Felix really good result for him winning um, that title last week in uh, begins with an F what's it Florence 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 Florence, yes. Florence. Yeah. yeah the anglicized name because I, I, I kept on seeing the Italian version of it out and I don't don't speak Italian. Sorry, um, but, uh, the um, I've, we've just lost all of Italy now. Uh, but we, um, <laughs> yeah, it was a really good result. Yes. For, it was a really good result for Felix. Uh, I thought um, he, I it was I it, he did something which uh, he almost should have done before, but it's nice to see him do, which is win a tournament where he was heavy favourite because I don't think Berrettini played in the end. Um, he did. I didn't see him. Did he? he did. He lost he did, to. He... Yeah, he yeah. lost in the first round to Carbaez Baina, if I'm not wrong. Yeah, he was wow. a breakup in the in the third set. Yeah, so he, he served, served for the match in the third set, and he lost from there. He missed that result. Um, yeah. So yeah, Felix winning, but like that made Felix the obvious candidate, and he just took it. And I don't think he really had much of a wobble. I mean, I watched him in the final, and JJ Wolf came at him with all he's got, and Felix. Held him off and then did the thing that top players do, which is grab his opportunities when he saw them and served it out. Um, really, really classy performance. I'm very excited. Yes. 
Yeah, and that's that's very much what he showed against Sitsipas as well in Rotterdam, where, um, you know, the first set was sort of competitive and the second set he went two breaks up and there was just absolutely, there were no nerves whatsoever when he served out um, the title. And that was, if I'm not wrong, his ninth final and, you know, he'd not won a title up till that point. Um, Of course, he made the final, was it at Marseille a week after, lost to Rublev. Um, Again, that was a, that was a really close match. Uh, it was like seven five and seven six for Rublev, but yeah, I sort of plateaued from there. Had a few good performances, especially at Roland Garros, pushed Nadal to five sets. I think that he he should definitely be proud of that performance because Clay's you know probably uh, his third favorite surface amongst uh, the ones that exist on the tour right now. Um, and you know the way I think Nadal did play a really good tournament overall. Um, the only apart from that match and. You know, the, maybe the quarters and the semis really wasn't troubled as much at all in that entire tournament. It showed a really high level. Um, so I think mm-hmm. that was a really good performance. And the Wimbledon exit obviously was disappointing uh, to uh, Maxime Cressy. But then again, that just goes to show the kind of margins that you have, uh, you know, on a grass court against someone like Cressy, who, you know, who's a servant volleyer and executes pretty well on his day. Um, what was actually more disappointing than that was, uh, you know, losing to Jack Draper after having a good tournament in tournament in Cincinnati. Um, if I if I remember correctly, he did beat Sinner uh, uh, from, you know, a breakdown in the second set. He was match points down as well, if I'm not wrong. And you know, but then to lose to Jack Draper in the second round, I think that was not a good result for him. And also the way he lost rather than the loss itself. It was like not not even close. It was, you know, 6-4, 6-4, 6-4. So it's good to see him picking up form just when he's supposed to, uh, you know, on these courts where he tends to flourish generally. Yeah. Um, I just want to see a bit more consistency from from Felix. And I'm really pleased he's won this. And he's won two times this year as well, which is really good. I really thought he was going to beat Nadal for a, for a minute at, uh, at the French Open. Um, but yeah, like he's obviously he's got the game. Like he can win big titles on all surfaces. Maybe not clay, but he can still do well on clay. Clearly, um, yeah. I just he just needs to to like to sort of be on the same level as of hype and attention as you know Sinner and Alcaraz. He needs to be having consistently deep runs and not having these shock losses and. To the point where it's not even surprising anymore. He loses to someone who's like not a bad player, but someone he should be beating. Exactly. Um, but you know, that's, he's still fantastic. That's the thing with Felix is that apart from the beginning of the year when you went from Rotterdam to Marseille, and maybe you could also argue ATP Cup to Australian Open. Generally, you have a really good week followed by a really off week. Um, so mm-hmm. that consistency, if you can keep that going. I'm going to put him very much in the mix um, with Sinner and Alcaraz rather than being, as it seems to be going him being the number three to their, their two. Um, yeah. At the top. Unless someone like Nardi or Baez was the party. Or yes. Rune. Rune's doing all right these days. <clears throat> How about anyway? He's ranked right now, actually. Oh, Rune. Oh, Rune. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's. I think he's playing this week. Um, I, I Rune's results are really hard to find. Like since that French Open quarterfinal, he's kind of disappeared off the radar a bit. Results. He did wise. make the final. I don't remember where he lost to uh, Mark Andrea Husler uh, after beating Yannick in the semis. Obviously, Yannick. Yes, Sophia. Yeah, Sophia. I think it was. Oh yeah, it was Sophia. Yes, and mm. he was the one to uh, be the first player to beat Yannick Sinner at Sophia. And um, obviously, yeah. Sinner did roll his ankle and had to retire. And you know, hopefully, he's back as well because you know, uh, it's it's a little sad that he is a few places off the spot where you know you tend to be in contention for the ADP finals because he's had such a good year. If you uh, uh, you know, if you put you know put things in perspective, because he did make the uh, quarterfinal of, uh, at every Slam. Uh, except for Roland Garros, you know, where he lost to Rublev in the fourth round. Obviously, he got injured after dominating him for a set and a half. 
Um, he, you know, obviously pushed Novak to five sets at Wimbledon, uh, played a close one against Alcaraz at the U.S. Open, held, held match point and, you know, lost in five sets. Um, you know, he, he had a few good results here and there as well in some of the Masters events. Uh, had to retire in Indian Wells before playing Kyrgios, who, did, who he did beat in Miami. And he retired after, I think, a couple of games against Hirondul in the quarterfinal. So it was really unfortunate that he's been plagued so much by injuries. Um, first, there was an amazing title run at Umag as well, where he just uh, thwarted Alcaraz in the final um, in, after you know, the first set being a close tiebreaker. Um, so, yeah, in a way, I guess uh, he should find a way to be more efficient uh, and not be like, say, say someone like Kei Nishikori, who, who goes to distance in every single match, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also definitely got unlucky with injuries in a lot of these tournaments and Sofia being the latest. Uh, so, you know, hopefully he's back and, you know, but at this point it looks like he needs to have a really big run at, um, I don't know if he's playing Vienna or Basel, but, you know, at Bercy, if he, if he's able to play to, you know, if he is to make it to Turin, but yeah, he's another player who, you know, would really make that tournament interesting. He did, uh, he did so last year, you know, despite being an alternate. He completely destroyed Purkac and uh, held match points against Medvedev in the dead rubber, of course. But that was a you know, really good contest after getting bageled in the first set. So Sinner is another player who, who I hope somehow is able to make it. And Felix, of course, you know, he would definitely thrive on uh, indoor hard court. And somebody who tends to step up in some of the biggest tournaments. And yeah, obviously Medvedev is another one who, you know, if, if, if he's fit, he's definitely one who, you know, could contend for the remaining tournaments, being his favorite surface and, you know, having mm-hmm. a lot of success on this, um, in, in this part of the season historically. I'm very excited to see what Medvedev can produce um, in this uh, end, of, uh, end of the season. Um, I mean, his run in Astana and that match with Djokovic that was very much prematurely ended. I mean, I'm hopefully, as you say, he's fit because if he's fit, this could be very, very exciting for him yes. uh, yeah. to, to finish his year on a high after what's being a little bit of a struggle, um, yes. given he's on course to finish fifth in the world based on the race. Yes. And that, that's what is uh, interesting for me because uh, he is number five in the race. But, you know, for his standard, it, it was seemingly a disappointing season. Of course, he made the final at the Australian Open. That's when things started to hurtle down a bit, you know, with him. Obviously, it started off with, uh, you know, Russia going to war against Ukraine and all of these players getting affected. And, of course, that resulted in, you know, him and the, his fellow Russian players, Rublev and Khachanov uh, and Karatsev, to name a few uh, being banned from competing at Wimbledon, where I mean he played really well last year, uh, lost in five sets to Hurkacz. Could have could easily make a case for him uh, winning that in four sets had play not got, um, you know, had play not uh, uh, had it was um, delayed. It was delayed till yeah. the next day. They should have just exactly. It got suspended. They should have just uh, finished the match on Saturday. Yeah, he was. That yeah, was he, I think. Ubi had only one break point until that, uh, until the suspension. And there was like 4-3 on serve for him. And then they come back the next day. It's just a completely different story. And Medvedev gets all of three games. And Ubi just, yeah. you know, it, it was really bizarre because he was definitely playing catch up until that point. Medvedev was the one dominating. Uh, so, yeah, interesting. And, Who's to say he wouldn't have probably even made the final? Federer was not really beating him in that state on one leg. Berrettini yeah. is a good matchup in general for Medvedev. And we could have very much I had a Novak and Daniel final again. So, you know, I think that's... on grass, Medvedev would struggle against mm. Berrettini. Yeah. Mainly because, I, yeah, I just think the speed of the ball from Berrettini is unlike, you know, like her catch doesn't hit with anywhere near as much pace as Berrettini when he's. Stapsu hitting the covers off the ball. Like, I mean, speaking of Berrettini, it's been a really difficult year for him, actually. Um, 
you know, we had we had that insane return from, you know, he's had all these injuries and they returned from injury in Stuttgart and then won back-to-back title there in Queens. Heavy favourite to reach the Wimbledon final again and then has to pull out with COVID. And then, you know, before that, he'd missed the entire clay season with an injury. And he's had disappointing losses and he's just not really been himself. And it's it's a shame because... You know, you look at the top, he's not even, he's like around top 15, but he's not top 10 right now. And I still would class him as a top 10 quality player. Yes. Um, you know, this is a guy who made four consecutive Grand Slam quarterfinals on all surfaces for someone who's labelled as incredibly one-dimensional when someone who doesn't have a backhand might, yeah, maybe true, but he can only lose to yes. Djokovic and Nadal uh, slams these days. Yes. So that's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, you know, he is beating all of the players he's supposed to beat for most part, which that sort of reliability is quite underrated, I would say. And nobody, Mm -hmm. I mean, it it would be a different story if he was uh, touted to be as good as someone like Zverev, Sitsipas, or even Medvedev team were. We all expected them to be uh, Grand Slam champions of at least one slam, if not multiple but yeah, I, I don't think anybody really expected that from him, and he's actually done really well. So it yeah. is again, like you said, it's a shame that Wimbledon again. He was really unlucky, you know. Him and Chilich, I would say, to uh, contract COVID and you know having to pull out. Um, you know, where mm-hmm. they really had a good chance. Chilich was playing mm-hmm. a lot better, made the semifinals at Roland Garros. You know, a couple of amazing performances against Medvedev and Rublev back to back. Um, and obviously grass is, you know, the surface he's had a lot of success on and it's quite comfortable on as well. But um, yeah, I I had him on the radar to make it to Turin um, after RG. And, you know, it's, he's not disappointed, but at the same time, it, it is a little sad that he's not really in contention at this point. Um, because... Yeah, I was just... He missed... Um, he missed one with an arm French Open. But he did make the US Open quarterfinals. So I think that's yeah. five straight quarterfinals. Yes, it is. Which is still quite amazing. Um, and he wasn't in the slightest bit convincing the US Open. I was watching his matches and I was like, he's barely winning his. Like he was winning in straight sets or in four sets, but he didn't look comfortable. And then he was shocking against Ruin and Ruin was absolutely ruthless. Um, yeah. Was it the yeah. third round? Wait, he, I think he played Andy Murray in the third round. So it was probably yeah, the yeah. second round where he played a French player. I can't really remember his name. And he really struggled there. It was He won 7-6 in the fourth. And I think it was... Um, was that Mute? Uh, oh, no, no, it was not Mute. He did play Mute at the US Open last year. It wasn't Rudy. Uh, mixed I think it was Hugo... Uh, let me just pull up the... I'm finding it now... It was uh, it was a second round against uh, Grenier, Hugo. Grenier. Oh, yeah. Hugo yeah. Grenier. Yeah, he really struggled there. It was down a set, and then uh, you know a couple of really tight tiebreakers to finish the match. And obviously that Andy Murray match where he was quite on clutch, you know, towards the end of the third set, bounced back really well to finish it. Uh, I, I thought Davidovich Fokina could have upset him in the fourth round. But, you know, again, he did pretty well to see that out because Davidovich yeah. Fokina did beat him in Monte Carlo last year. And he, I think he was up, uh, was he up a break in the second set? If I remember right, he was. And yeah, from there, I think Berrettini just had control of the match for most part. And, you know, unfortunately, Fokina even got injured in the fifth set. Um, yeah, so yeah, yeah, that was a, Yes. Which you know that tends to happen in all of his matches, um, but <laughs> yeah, fools um, all the time. Yeah, think- and really bizarre match against Rude at the U.S. Open. It was like six one five one down, and all of a sudden he's just fighting back. And yeah, he serves for the third set. Yeah, and ends up losing it in straight sets. So yeah, he mm-hmm. it, it's probably a season he'd like to forget for sure. Um, yeah. And very much like Medvedev, a lot of the circumstances um, that occurred were not really because of anything these guys did. It was just really unfortunate. Be the you know injuries, hernia in Medvedev's case, and there was a hand injury for Berrettini. 
uh, that kept him out of the entire Cray season. And also, you know, the the ban from Wimbledon, it sort of affected Medvedev, definitely. Uh, and yeah, just it, the fact that he is number five in the race too. And definitely, I mean, who's to say, you know, he probably wouldn't end up in the top four. He's far more likely to add a lot of points than, you know, say Casper Ruud is or even Steph Sitsipas is, you know. Sitsipas, of course, I wouldn't underestimate him either because he's playing really well on these courts. Yeah, I we should probably chat about Sitsipas because I keep hearing randomly from people that he's, you know, he's having this, he's having such a dip in form since he lost that French Open final to Djokovic and he's won yeah. the most matches out of any ATP player this year. Um, and yeah, there's been bad losses. Galan at the US Open was an absolute howler. Um, yes, I I did not expect that at all. I wake up to check the score. He's like, yeah. love six, love five down and I'm wondering if it's a glitch, and I thought it was maybe Sitsipas was up six love and five love, but no, it turns out it wasn't. So I just, I mean, there's no, there's no way to explain that kind of a loss, really. And you know, it, it, he's yeah. seemingly has bounced back pretty well. You know, had a good tournament Astana. I don't know if he played before that. Um, don't think he did, but yeah, he he had a good tournament overall. Oh, yeah, he played the Labour Cup again. I don't read too much into those matches, of course, you know, that, yeah, what happened in that match against Tiafo, you know, there was some uh, unfortunate, uh, uh, Mm -hmm. what do you call it, Uh, instigation from from Team World side, which I mean, I guess we don't have to get into here, but um, yeah, yeah, that's a story for another podcast. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. We we need content, so we'll not like exhaust all of them here in the first episode. (laughs) But yeah, um, there was obviously the, um, you know, he did play a good match to begin the Labour Cup and also that was against Schwartzman. Sorry. He was, he was, no, he was, (laughs) he was very, very good. I was quite impressed with some of his play. Um, yeah. And to be fair, he was absolutely annihilated, though. And then mm-hmm. Tifo stepped his game up and... Yep. I mean, the format break. definitely helped him, I would say. You know, the third set yeah. tiebreaker instead of, like, playing an actual advantage set before going into it, I think definitely helped him. But Astana, again, really good week. Uh, bounced back well against Rublev. I thought, okay, you know, Rublev's playing really well. And Steph Tens, I mean, they've, they've played, I think, quite a few times in indoor hard courts. Either it's been convincing for Rublev or if Steph has gone on to win it's been quite tight um, so yeah that was a, that was an impressive win obviously just blown away in the final by Novak but you know Novak tends to do that to players so we can uh, yeah. yeah we can sort of give that a pass obviously you would have expected a better fight from him didn't even uh, I think he got to juice only on one service game and that was in the final service game of Novak's so uh, yeah I mean it's not a good it's not a very good matchup for Sitsipas on an in indoor hardcore. I mean, I think right now, going going off the last few years, all I can really see troubling Djokovic on an indoor hardcore is either Medvedev, because he plays a similar, just a quirkier kind of version of Djokovic's game with yes. a very good serve, or you go Dominic team and you absolutely hit the covers off the ball for three yeah. and a half hours and just Hit, hit your spots in a tie break and yes you know team beat him two years in a row at the ATP finals and they're both he did that back to back one of my favourite matches back. yeah you I know, know. It's, they're probably both my favourite matches of those years at least three sets mm-hmm. they're both extraordinary yeah I mean what Novak tends to do to other players Dominic did to Novak you know 4-1 down in 2019 in the third set breaker he turns that around 4-love um, down following year and you know I thought okay Novak has this but just Novak, as Novak himself said, he just, you know, there was nothing much wrong that he did. It was just Dominic who just completely, you know, uh, took over from there and annihilated mm. a few winners. But And there's also another player, um, you know, Zverev, who could be a threat to uh, Novak. Yeah, again, he's kind of similar, the kind of um, counter-punching serve-bot kind of, I yeah, but, um, you know, the kind of yeah. the big aggressive server mixed in with a lot of not particularly aggressive hitting, just kind of yeah. And the backhand, of, of course, if he wants to unload on it, he could. And uh, you know, yeah. So, I, I think if you've got like Zverev and you add someone with like Rublev's aggressive mindset, it'd be quite scary, scary. Yeah, it would be exactly. Uh, it's just funny because Zverev is a nightmare matchup for Rublev. I don't even think he's taking a set. In I was thinking about this earlier. I was thinking about. 
Rublev as well, who's also he's just won his fourth title in you know in Gijon. Twelve career titles, I think his record, and I think he's had seventeen finals in total. He's 12, 12 wins, five losses. So he's actually doing very well. Although I still would say he's a bit one-dimensional, but had a very good week. And of all people who challenged him, it was the first round against Ilya Ravashka. He was quite struggling against Ravashka, but then. Mm-hmm. You know, sorted it out when he had to, and then got through Tommy Paul quite comfortably. Had a good match with team, um, but yeah, team teams playing really well, considering that you know in July he couldn't even win a tennis match. Exactly. Um, he's doing fantastically, but same thing happened against Herpatch in uh, in Marcel. He's keeping up with you know a top ten great player, but he plays one bad service game where he hits one or two double faults, he hits some wild errors, doesn't find his spots, and he gets broken. And then that's kind of the set. Um, and that's kind of what happened against Rublev. But I think he kept up with him really well. And Rublev was playing fantastic. Like, that was Rublev at his best, really. Um, and then, yeah, had no problems with Calder. So another good year for Rublev, which is good. I just I worry about his mental state in the minute, really. Yeah. Have we lost have we lost Nick by the way? Oh yeah. No, no I'm still completely... here. I just haven't <laughs> oh. we just hijacked Sorry. the conversation. So yeah. Sorry, it, looked like you, it looked like you'd frozen. <laughs> I was like, no? Yeah. Uh, no, I'm very good at staying very still. Um Okay, cool. Uh yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, like funny enough, I just looked the other day at the race and I was like, Bleff's sick. Because mm. I other than the very beginning of the year when he won this couple of titles in uh Marseille and Dubai, is it Marseille? France and Dubai. Um, they, um, like he, his results hadn't been headline grabbing. Um, and actually that's, I find in this very much observing tennis is that we kind of do down the players who, who don't grab the headlines. Like some of the people we've talked about, Sitsi Pass, what's his biggest headline result? Winning Monte Carlo. Rublev, what's his big headline result? Probably beating Djokovic in Belgrade. Um, yeah, that was very good. Um, what's, um, they, those aren't consistent. Those are like sort of one-off spotted throughout the year. Um, Berrettini hasn't had any big highlight results. Thinner's big highlight has probably been that fight set with Alcaraz. Um, it's been the Dahl and Alcaraz and to a extent Rude who have been stealing all the headlines as the year's mm. gone on. And Djokovic at different points throughout the year. You know, win by winning Wimbledon, that four set of Nadal at Roland Garros. Um, those kind of four players have been the guys we're talking about. So what we talk about, your Medvedevs, your Sitsipas, your Rublevs, um, they kind of like tailing comparison, even though actually they've had some really consistent results and that's why they're in the running for playing in Shirin and very much earning that. So I'm actually looking yeah. forward to the um, the indoor season um, coming up as a chance for old players that we discussed, Medvedev, Rublev, maybe even Berrettini or Sinner, um, or someone else completely to come in and steal some headlines because right now Alcaraz and Nadal are kind of taking a bit of a rest. Um, yeah. And it's an opportunity for someone to, to swoop in and make some stories. Or it could be Djokovic again, and Djokovic will end the year as sort of like the man to beat, unsurprisingly indoors. I think that's probably what's going to happen. Um, yeah. And he's going to you know, break into the top eight on merit. He's already top 10 in the race. Um, I, I think that's probably what's going to happen. But I think um, he's qualified now. I think he's officially qualified. Yes, as, yes. As a, yeah, he's the yeah. top twenty. Yeah, so, yeah. Because now there's no way that he. Yeah, exactly. Like you said. So uh, I think Medvedev. I was ask you, it's going to be a. Uh, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, like, you're probably going to about to answer the question I was going to ask, but um, uh, how how do you see the rest of the ATP finals field shaping up? Um, I'm pretty certain. So obviously we've got four qualified already, Alcaraz, Rude, Nadal, and Sitsipas are already qualified. And probably Medvedev and Rublev are almost certainly going to qualify, unless something really surprising happens in the next few weeks. Um, Djokovic, as we said, is in. Who do you think is going to get that last spot? Because on paper, again, unless we get a really surprising run of like someone winning Vienna and Paris or Basel and Paris back to back and charging their way through like Sinner or Berrettini probably going to be Felix, Fritz or Herkatch. Yeah, I had I Fritz or Herkatch in, in mind. In it terms could of, be Herkatch. 
Um, yeah, has not as Fritz pulled out of Paris. I think I read that yesterday. I don't know. For sure. Oh, I think. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Was he? Wasn't he supposed to play Vienna? Um, or has he pulled out of that as well? In my, I'm not sure if he's pulled out of that one as well. But I think I okay. all I've heard is that he's pulled out of Paris. But any reason? Really on, because yeah. he did. He did win Tokyo, right? So India. just one Tokyo. Was Tokyo indoor? No, it was outdoors. Mm. Outdoors. No, I think it has a roof. But it, like a retractable roof. Yeah, very much like yeah. Beijing and Shanghai. Um, yeah, and he played really well there. I mean, if I was to pick anyone to come out of the upcoming indoor tournaments better between her catch and Fritz, I'd probably go her catch. But I don't, I mean, who, where have, and then we've got Felix, and I think Felix is probably going to do better than both of them. But probably, I can't yes. But if, if Fritz were so. to play, if Fritz were to play, I think. He's probably more reliable than the other two because, especially yes. more than Hurkacz. Hurkacz, you just never know. Um, you never know. He, yeah. he could be in a Wimbledon final one week and then he could lose in the first round. Yeah, of he would lose in the next round of every start. But <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, it's so you know. I think I'm just gonna um, go with my gut and say gut. Phoenix. But yeah, again, it it could be a three way battle between these two. Yeah, Felix is the one I think is most likely as well. Um, I think he'll really enjoy the indoor conditions. Um, as you said, her catch is very hard to predict, although I think they've got him winning the title in Stockholm this week. Is he playing? Yeah. He's playing. So I, I think I've got him down as winning the title in Stockholm mm-hmm. um, on my TNS predictions. Um, and I... Uh, and Fritz, like you said, yeah, he's very consistent, but um, maybe he's got a bit of an overhang from that from the from the Asian swing. Um, I think Felix most likely, and actually think he'd probably be the most exciting addition out of the three to Turin. I'd like to Felix, see, yeah. Could you? I think. Could you imagine Felix trying to take his Djokovic like he did a Labour Cup, or um, mm. even though Djokovic was kind of injured at that match, or or Felix taking it to pretty much anyone because I think he's going to be hyped. Exactly, yeah. because he took it, he beat Novak, he took Nadal to five sets, he took Medvedev to five sets, had match point as well at, at the Australian Open. Um, Alcaraz and Davis Cup. Yes, he beat Alcaraz and Davis yeah. Cup, he beat Rublev uh, in Rotterdam. So, yeah. And Which is I pretty think, Felix Solaccia didn't seem to win the ATP finals. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I think he's beaten pretty be much the, the entire field. He did get absolutely destroyed by Casper Ruud in Montreal. I remember that. I don't know if they played outside of. Oof. Yeah, it was six one. That was two. tough. Yes. I was. I mean, I like. I, I like Casper, and I also really like Felix. And that was a tough watch because Felix was just so flat. Like he, and he was had the home crowd cheering for him, and they were just yeah. dead silent. There's yeah. just nothing going. I think at one point they probably started to cheer when the ball didn't, you know, catch his frame for once. So, yeah, um, yeah, that's yeah. how bad it was. I mean, it's really flat, like you said. So, yeah, but I mean, on you know, on a good day, he definitely can beat Casper Ruud on, you know, more likely of course. to beat Casper Ruud on these kind of conditions. So, you know, I, I personally hope as, as a fan of his and for the best for tennis, I hope it's Felix. And it could be, mm-hmm. it could end up that way as well because you know he's just won a title, and going into, uh, I'm not sure if he's w- which one of the two he's playing amongst Vienna and Basel, or if he's playing at all. But you know that, and obviously Bercy, you know he definitely could uh, pick up uh, you know substantial amount of points to qualify. And of course we have to talk about Rafael Nadal, who uh, is playing Bercy. And of course, his qual- it was the first player to qualify for Turin and could be very interesting because we could have a scenario where we could see Nadal, Medvedev and Djokovic uh, in a group. Could happen. Um, oh, I'm not oh, sure yeah. if the drawmakers would decide for it, but <laughs> it can happen for sure. Uh, I remember in 2013, we had Djokovic, Federer and Del Potro in one group. So, you know, definitely possible. Um so yeah, that's definitely interesting, and you know, would would love to see a Djokovic versus Nadal, you know, in Paris or Turin, maybe even both, because you know they only. Well, I think a- I think Djokovic fans would absolutely love to see Djokovic Nadal match on indoor hardcore. I I'm a bit concerned. I'm more concerned about Rafa, like personally, as in like I think he's 
you know, his baby's doing fine. He's, mm-hmm. he's very, very happy. Yeah, he was out practicing, you know, a couple yeah. of days after, which is a good sign. And, you know, he's seemingly ready for the you know, end of the season. So, yeah, he seems, you know, mentally and physically well. I just don't yeah. know if he's in a position to now come back to the tour and play Paris and then go right. play the HP finals. I just don't I mean, know. If he does get a favorable draw, I mean, of course, he grew Chorich in Cincinnati who ended up winning the tournament. So that loss aged was, quite well. Um, yeah, it was a, a wild week at Cincinnati. Yeah, tournament, he was. But, you know, I have to say that Rafa is a sort of lost that aura that he had in the beginning of the season because you have him yeah. losing to Chorich. He lost to Tiafo as well. So players, and obviously now with Medvedev recently making an interesting statement saying that he wants to beat Rafa the most at this point. Uh, and of course, mm. what better conditions than these for him, right? So, and then there, of course, there's Novak, and then the matchup, uh, how it's been on hard courts for the last decade, I mean, or so. So, um, yeah, you know, that, we've that would got be a very interesting scenario set up for the ATP finals potentially, in that it could be a battle for number one as well, Alcaraz versus Nadal. Yes, for the <laughs> yeah, uh, which would be. I would, I'm down for that. Yes, <laughs> I'm, I, I am down that. for that. I'm interested to see how Alcaraz goes on the indoor hard courts because, I mean, funny enough, the last, he lost in straight sets to um, Goffin the other day, and that was his first straight sets lost since Hugo Gaston. Goffin's not a bad Paris. loss, though. Like, no, it's not a bad loss. No. Form, former, w, former ATP finalist. Yeah. Take, I've got WT on my brain. Um, ATP finalist, um, Masters 1000 finalist. He's beaten most of the big guys at one point. Um, he's been, I think he nearly beat Rafa on clay this year. Like, um, had nearly got to the semi-final, went five with Cam Nori. Like, yeah. Um, I, if I if I was a top player and I lost to Kathy Goffin, I wouldn't be that upset. No, no, no I, I completely agree. But it brings me back to the, what ran this time last year. And that was the last time Alcaraz lost in straight sets. And that was to Gaston in Paris. And I watched that match. And it was literally just a case of Alcaraz just not being able to handle the occasion. Like, it was a crazy French crowd. Um, and Gaston knows how to get them riled up. Um, yeah, poor Alcaraz just couldn't handle it. Well, yeah, five love up in the second set. And then, yeah, that was bizarre because we very much could have had Medvedev and Alcaraz in the quarterfinals. In yeah. the and he just beat Sinner as well in the match before. Yes. So like, it wasn't like he was, it's not like he's terrible. Then not hard no, no, not at all. Um, but yeah, Gaston's not a great matchup for Alcaraz because he he can play crazy tennis. In a, he's a bit more casino tennis than Alcaraz, but he does do those wild shots out of nowhere in a similar way. But he doesn't produce them as well anywhere near as consistently. And as you said, the French crowd. I mean, I love watching Hugo Gaston in front of a French crowd because the atmosphere is just electric and he just switches mm-hmm. on and shows us the full scale of his talent and the crowd just gets into it. Um, so, again... It depends who he's playing. playing. <laughs> it does. If he's yeah. playing Dominic team, I hate it. Oh, I yes. absolutely hate it. <laughs> there was that, that yeah. French Open, that French oh. Open fourth round was torture. Yeah, absolutely. I can imagine because, you know, in a way I was disappointed because... We were about to get a team versus Wawrinka fourth round, which would have been a cracker for sure. Wawrinka was playing well mm-hmm. that year. Um, he had a top 16 seeding as well, if I'm not wrong, at that point. He beat Medvedev at the Australian Open. And yeah, of course, he had that um, uh, bizarre loss to Musetti in Rome where he got bageled. But other than that, I think he looked good to go. And he was even, wait, well, yeah. It was that fifth set he got bageled. So it was by Hugo Gaston. Um, interesting, to say the least. But almost like, yeah, getting bageled by someone like Schwartz. He's a menace. He's yeah. a French menace, honestly. Exactly. Yeah, I do, I, do, I do like him, though. He's got a lot of pizzazz and a lot of character, and I do enjoy yeah. that. Right. And I'd and like to see more. I think the fact that we don't really see him every kind of week on tour and the fact that we just see him now and again in these tournaments yeah. and he just puts in these amazing pools is, is actually kind of adds to it a bit. Right. So Nick and Jethro, um, just quickly, your predictions for uh, who is going to end up winning the remaining big titles on the men's tour? Men's tour? Yes. 
So what would you classify classify as a big title? Five hundred. Oh, I mean the the remaining uh, the Paris Masters and the ADP Finals. Oh gosh, I mean this far out, um, especially with Paris. I mean that's a lottery. Um, <laughs> I would predict Daniel Medvedev to win Paris and Novak Djokovic to win the ATP Finals. What about you, Jethro? I'm gonna say Djokovic to win Paris. He won last year, didn't he? Beat Medvedev in that amazing yes. final. Um, and ATP Finals. Oh, see, I think I could see it being another random year. Like we had Dimitrov in 2017, we had Zverev in 2018, and he wasn't like an established kind of top four at that point. He was kind of more of a top five, top six. Oof. Felix? Yeah, I really want to say Felix for some reason, but he hasn't qualified, so I'm going to... Ooh. But you've only got four options to be picking qualifiers. That, the, the most random option of that would be Casper Ruud. Yeah, I'm gonna say Sis. I'm gonna say Sis Pass. I think he's gonna win it. I could see him winning it again. Yeah, I'll go Djokovic. Interesting. Paris, so very much like 2019 then. Um, yeah. Right. Although Dominic team should have won 2019 yeah. and 2020, yeah. but we all we all know that we don't we don't need to we don't need <laughs> yes, to get into exactly. That <laughs> okay. So I'm gonna say. Uh, my gut feeling is that Djokovic is going to go back to back and win both of them. I can nice. see that happening. And obviously, I wouldn't mind uh, as a, a huge fan of both players if, you know, Novak and Daniel sort of like swapped, you know, they, or like exchanged those titles, but uh, or shared them. Like, you know, I think that's the most appropriate word. But, you know, I just think Novak is just in that kind of form. And the ATP finals again. Uh, I just think after all of those missed opportunities from the you know past few seasons, this is probably the best time for him to add another one um, to the five that he has already. Um, yeah, so. I think the lack of Zverev, I I, I, I would still still say that Djokovic and um, Medvedev are much better than Zverev on an indoor hardcore yes. or or normal out or normal hardcore anyway, but he presents a bit of a a hump in the road, I guess. Yeah, that like, he does. he's not he's not an easy win unless he plays terribly in double faults loads. Yeah, it's whatever. It's like he's never easy to get past because you know he's he's very athletic. He's got those yeah. long levers and he can get yeah. a lot of balls back and it's yeah a struggle. Yeah, um, and I think the removal of him from any potential matches is going to help both Djokovic and Yeah, because and also I must say that since 2020 uh, even, you know, when he's not playing his best, he somehow finds a way to, you know, take a set or even uh, make a set competitive. Uh, you know, long gone are the days where he would just completely capitulate and like double yeah. fault some 20 times or 25 times. He still somehow, I mean, there was that match against Sebastian Baez uh, at oh. Roland Garros. Yeah, I just I was completely surprised he managed to turn that around. Same, same thing with Oscar Ote last year where he was two sets down and, you know, he managed mm-hmm. to, um, uh, you know, win in five sets. And I think he played another, you know, a couple of close ones in 2020 as well and before losing in the fourth round. So, yeah, it's not really easy to uh, get by him. He even pushed Medvedev to the brink in their round robin match last year in Turin, which was for a long time looking like it was another, you know, straightforward win for Medvedev, even at a break point to serve it out in the second. Uh, so, yeah, he just somehow finds a way to ma- you know, extend matches at least, at the very least, if not make a comeback. And, of course, as much as I hate to mention it, the Tokyo semifinal against Djokovic last year, uh, of course, at the Olympics, where he was set to yes. break down. And, yeah, that was, you know. Of course, that got, credit, away. But that got away. Yeah, got so. away real, really quickly. But as much as it hurts me, you know, I have to mention it. Um, so yeah, that definitely you know makes a huge difference to the landscape of this tournament. Um, very likely that his season is done at this point. Um, and even if he does come back, there's in even mathematically, I don't know if there's much of a chance that he makes it unless he wins, say, Paris. Um, so. Yeah, I don't think he's. I think his next event will be the Dubai. Probably, yes. I, I don't think he's come back before that. And but he's yeah, his injury sounded like he got obviously a new injury, which is probably yeah. a knock-on effect from the ankle. And mm. yeah, it didn't sound it didn't sound good. Yeah. So 
Yes. Yeah. And for the final segment of our first episode of the Popcorn Tennis Podcast, we're going to touch up on the Challenger Tour. And of course, Nick being the expert, uh, at least amongst the three of us uh, in this alley, he will uh, you know, give us some updates on what's going on there. I am definitely not the expert to talk to. <laughs> I mean, of the three of us, um, I, I mean, like I have... Uh, I don't watch that much of the challenge at all, but obviously the the news that's come out uh, recently um, that our, our colleague um, James, um, known on Twitter as Tennis Raptor, has put a piece out on yesterday about changes and his take on them. Um, but um, obviously, you want the challenge at all, sort of in depth stuff. You want someone like Damien Cruz. And Damien, Damien is so. unreal. Like, yes. yeah, yeah. Huge shout out to Damien. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get him on at some point. Um, but essentially, what they've done is um, uh, that they've made uh, about three three broad changes. I'll keep it keep it brief. Um, they've um, changed the challenger structure. So the current structure is sort of six levels of challenger 50 80 90 100 110 and 125 um, they've now simplified it to four 50 75 100 and 125 um, which um, kind of maybe mirrors a little bit more of um kind of a bit more effective what the atp main atp tour is um, they've increased the prize money um available um so I think they're going from, uh, yeah, I, the, the fig, the, there's some figures on here that, um, yeah, it's a massive increase going up from a total across the tours of 13.2 million to 21.1 million um, available across the Challenger Tour, um, US dollars, uh, and um, an enhanced Kansas. So there's going to be uh, more, even more Challenger events next year, record-breaking 195. Uh, so... That's, I mean, I'm going to say this now. Um, I think these are all positive changes, especially the prize money thing, because tennis players need to make a living doing what they do, even those who are ranked outside the top 100, um, in order to be able to keep the sport healthy and growing and have depth um, in the field. And, but also, yeah, hey, these people have chosen this as their livelihoods. So they're not just here to entertain us. Um, yeah. Uh, simplified structure is going to be make it easier to follow um, in some ways and having more available challenges it gives more opportunities to players as well so I think it's a step in the right direction um, even though James says there's probably a little bit more to do in terms of media coverage around it Peace. Yeah I mean it's, yeah, as I said it's a very good step in the right direction I think for, for too long now the kind of discrepancy between the top 100 and below in terms of money, it's just it's just really, really it's kind of just been a bit unacceptable, really. I know Noah Rubin, who's actually now switched to pickleball, probably wishing now that he's stuck with tennis because they're increasing the challenge in prize money. But he's always been very, very good at talking about the kind of issues that come with this. And you know, he was like, You're not playing for like riches, you're like you're playing for your next meal, you know, you're pay you're playing so you can afford the hotel you're staying in tonight. You know, it's and of course, that's not relevant to everyone on the Challenger Tour. There are people who, who are higher up who get wild cards into certain tournaments and get some main draws, you know, at Grand Slams and all this stuff. And, you know, you could make the first round of every Grand Slam in a year and you could earn, like, you know, over over $100,000 quite comfortably. And, you know, the the like the amount of money that's actually won on the Challenger Tour just, yeah, just doesn't really match up to what it should be. Um and, you know, whenever someone qualifies for a Grand Slam and beats someone, you know, an established player in the top 30 and they're like a challenger player, you get all these people like, oh, my God, who is this? I'm like, well, this guy's actually really good. Like, they're all of these players are amazing. Like, you know, I watch challengers whenever I, someone I'm, I've got my eye on is playing. So I watched, like, Sebastian Byers last year. I watched Dominic Team player this year on challenger level because, you know, he's ranked low and he's trying to get his form back and you really get such an appreciation for how good these guys are. They wouldn't look out of place in any major ATP event at all. Um, and I just hope that they really up their coverage and their promotion and their marketing of it because yeah, it's really good. 
is yeah, what I would say. Not to mention uh, that would also, in a way, encourage a lot of tournament directors to hand out wild cards to uh, players you wouldn't really expect to get them. And that, in a way, gives these players a platform as well because at some point, like you mentioned, the depth is so uh, uh, you know so vast in the Challenger Tour. There's so many good players, but unfortunately, you know, only one player can win a tournament at a time. So uh, at some point, some players need to get their lucky break, uh, and they should probably uh, stay true to the term wild card rather than uh, handing mm-hmm. it out to one player in specific. Um, the Andy Murray fans won't like this one, but uh, oh. uh, yeah, right. I mean, nothing. Obviously, nothing. Nothing against. Uh, nothing against Andy, of course. You know, but yeah, it's just. I think uh, that, in a way, would encourage. Uh, you know, like you like you mentioned, the promotion of players you wouldn't otherwise know about, and you know, only after watching the likes of Andy Murray, Dominic Team, and Wawrinka, uh, you know, slog it out at such a level because they have to climb up uh, the rankings themselves. Are we aware of uh, how good these players are, and the fact that you know a lot of them are, you know, the truth of the matter is they're struggling to make ends meet. So this is definitely a huge step in the a positive direction and let's see how it goes from here yeah, yeah. absolutely yeah. it's not sufficient now pull the plug on the popcorn tennis podcast <laughs> <take this back>. <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah i just um just hope he doesn't cut cut off the show after that <laughs> yeah <laughs> but... scott just yeah just tweets unfortunately there will be no popcorn tennis podcast yep. to speak. we're yeah. very sorry Drew Harry has so... now been removed as a host <laughs> um... yeah <laughs> If you see me completely drowned out, you would know now why. Yeah. But uh, blacklisted from uh, from writing articles ever again. Yeah. Uh, so that that was fun. Uh, that went really yeah. well for for a first episode, especially. And uh, make sure to follow us on Acast, and also don't forget to uh, share this. Uh, around uh, in the tennis Twitter community and amongst, uh, uh, you know, friends and family, you know, who follow tennis, who aren't really uh, on social media and thus wouldn't be aware of uh, this podcast. So uh, hope to see you all real soon. And it was a pleasure chatting with Nick and Jethro. Cheers, guys. Thank you very much.